Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about taking heed as to what we hear. Because the gospel we hear is the gospel that we are going to believe in or have faith in and the gospel that we're going to live by. I want you to think about that. So if what we hear is a little bit off, we're going to believe something that's a little bit off and we're going to actually live by that doctrine. So it's important that we recognize that the enemy's attack is going to be on the word of God that we receive and the word of God that we hear. And he's going to do what? Use religious traditions, traditions of men, even doctrines of devils to indoctrinate us in a way that he wants us to think. Go to the very beginning. And what does he say to Eve? Hath God said? God hath said. But he says to her, hath God said? She should have said yes. God hath said. He turns it around. Why? To deceive. To present as truth what is a lie. And remember, you're not going to poison, uh, even say a rat with something that's poisonous. You're going to give it something that tastes good, but it doesn't know it's deadly. That's exactly how the devil works. To try to instill in people's minds the things that undermine their faith. So Jesus said, take heed what you hear and take heed how you hear it. Look at Mark's gospel, chapter 4 and verse 24 and 25. And he said to them, take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. He that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. So it's important, he says, take heed as to what you hear what you are listening to. I know there are many programs that are out there on TV and you've got all kinds of different ministers saying all kinds of different things with all the technology and media that we have today. You get it from everywhere. And you know what? A lot of Christians are confused by this because they don't know exactly what to believe. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Here again, this is the parable of the sower that Jesus is teaching this truth from. He says, take heed therefore how you hear. So it's not just what we hear, but how we hear. For whosoever hath to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. So our hearing is important. Because what we hear, faith comes by hearing, is what we're going to believe or have faith in. And so if our faith is in something that is off, it's going to debilitate our faith. And we're not going to be able to experience the things that God wants us to have. Look at Matthew 13, because in these verses, once again, parable of the sower, he's introducing it. Notice what he says. For this heart's, this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, that's spiritually, and hear with their ears, that's spiritually, and should understand with their heart. Notice the, notice the progression here. See with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, in other words, changed by what they see and hear and understand. And then what? 
I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and lo, and, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. So it's important that we understand that Jesus is trying to communicate to them and to us what we hear is absolutely essential to our faith. It depends on whether or not our faith is productive. So you see, it's important we understand we have to think right, believe right, speak right in order to have right. So if my thinking is off, my thinking is wrong, my believing will be off and wrong, and then my speaking will be off and wrong, and then I'll have what is wrong. And that's exactly how the enemy wants to work. That's what he did to Eve. She began to think wrong, believe wrong, speak wrong. Oh, it looks like it's a good tree to have, you know, to partake of. I want to have more knowledge and all that. Well, what happened? She fell as a result of doing what she did. And how did that start? With a thought. So the enemy wants to use wrong teaching so he could produce wrong believing, wrong faith, and so on. Now, give you an example. Salvation. When it comes to salvation... There are those that teach only the elect can be saved. And it's really sad, but you hear a lot of this teaching that's out there, that Jesus apparently didn't die for everyone. He only died for the elect. It's out there. You can listen to it, and people fall for it. And there's a whole lot more we can give you, in which I'll share a few things. But, but what does the Bible really teach? John 3.16 For God so loved the elect. No, the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What did Paul teach Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 4? Who will have all men to be saved? Are you saved? Well, notice the verse. We should be saved and. Saved and what? Coming to the knowledge of the truth. Not just saved, but saved and coming to the knowledge of the truth. So God wants us to be a saved and a people. We don't stop at getting saved. We get saved and then we begin coming to the knowledge, the revelation of the truth. That is exact knowledge it's talking about. It's talking about entering into a revelation of that knowledge that impacts our lives, our thoughts, our speech, our conduct, our character, our behavior, the way we deal with people, the way we, let's say, deal with our family with our husbands, with our wives, with our children, in the workplace, with parents, etc., etc. We find out what the Word of God teaches. As a matter of fact, when we come to Christ, do we know we give up our rights to an independent lifestyle for the purpose of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus? Isn't that what we do? Okay, so when we do that, our lives are supposed to be then governed by the Word of God and regulated by the love of God. So God's word is to govern my life entirely, completely. That means every facet of my life is to be governed by the word of God. If I don't open up the Bible to find out what it says about my life, then how can it govern my life? It's up to me to find out what God's word says so that I can have faith and confidence in how I should be acting, whether it's in my marriage, with, whether it's with my family, with my children as a father, and as a worker, etc., etc. So, it's important we understand that. Now, look at the Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, because we have another verse here. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
I believe that's three witnesses right there that reveal to us the fact that God wants all men to be saved and that Jesus died for everybody in the world. Well, then how is it, how is it that people can read these scriptures and say that, that God doesn't want to save everyone, just the elect? To be honest with you, then why would we preach the gospel? If, if God has hand-selected who's going to be saved, there's no need to preach or teach the gospel or witness or evangelize the world because he already has selected who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost, right? But that's not what Jesus taught. Go into all the world and preach the good news to every creature. Isn't that what he said? Okay. When it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, next. There are some that teach that once you get saved, you have all the power of the Spirit that, it, that you can have. That you've got the fullness of the Spirit in salvation. Well, that's not really true. And remember, the enemy will use anything to get us off course, off track, to deny us from experiencing the fullness of the power of God in our lives. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live this life without the power of God. Do you? I don't want to live this life without the power of God. So once we get saved, we have the Spirit in the new birth or regeneration. But there is another experience of the Spirit in the life of a believer who is saved. And that's called being filled with Holy Ghost power. Acts 1.8 tells us you'll be endued with power when the Spirit of God has come upon you from on high. But look at Acts chapter 8. If there's any one particular section of scripture that reveals to us the fact that once you get saved, you do not have all the spirit that there is. It's right here. And I don't know how anybody can read these verses and deny that truth. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. And go on down to verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So we see two separate workings of the Spirit here. They were saved when they were, ba they were baptized in water. They were saved, baptized in water. But then they sent for Peter and John, and they came down and said, you've got to get filled with the Holy Ghost and power. Jesus said, you'll be filled with Holy Ghost power. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come on you. In Acts 19, he said the same thing to people at Ephesus that he thought were believers. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? That once again shows that there's two different works of the Spirit. So, I don't know about you, but I want all the power that I can possibly have, don't you? I want filled with Holy Ghost power to live my life in the power of God so that I can be effective in advancing God's kingdom upon the earth and also having a successful life. And then number three, when it comes to healing, a very important subject. I don't know about you. How many of you, a show of hands, love being sick? No one? Okay. No one likes to be sick. Well, I don't like to be sick either. <laughs> but there are some that teach that God no longer heals or that God only heals by a sovereign act of his will. And they'll teach that. Healing is not for today, they'll teach. Or it's selective, that God will select people that he wants to heal. And it's by his sovereign will. Well, if that were true, hmm, let's kick over this sacred cow just for a little bit. Can we do that? If that were true, if God doesn't always want to heal, 
and he only heals the ones that he wants to, how come everybody else that he doesn't want to heal go to the doctor? Take medicine. Try to get out of the will of God. Because if it's not his will to heal them, then it's not his will they be healed. If it's not his will they be healed, then it must be his will they be sick. So if it's his will that they be sick, why go to a doctor to get out of the will of God? Why take medicine to get out of the will of God? Hmm. Something to think about, isn't it? Someone criticized me once and said, well, if you believe in healing, why did you take your son to the doctor? Because I believe in healing. Because I believe he wants my son healed. Whether it's through medical science or anything else, I believe that God wants my son healed. He wants my son whole. And I will do everything within my ability to see to it that he gets help, the help that he needs, including divine power first. So my question to you is then, why are you going to the doctor if you think God doesn't want you well? And something else to consider. If God made you sick like many think, do you think a pill can undo that? You think an antibiotic can undo that? You think surgery can undo it? If God's the force behind a sickness, there's no possible way you can ever get healed. You realize that? Okay, so what are the scriptures? Just look at Acts 10.38. That would be enough sufficient for me. But look at Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good. Well, what was the good that he was doing? Healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That's a one verse of scripture that reveals to us the Godhead completely engaged in healing Everyone that Jesus healed. God the Father, owned Jesus the Son with the Holy Ghost and power, that's all three of them, who went about doing good and what's good? Healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Okay, so we have a revelation right there that it's the will of God for people to be healed because he healed them all. And then 1 Peter 2.24, uh, a wonderful verse of scripture that our theologians, for some reason today, do not want to be honest enough with us to let us know that that word healed there is used 25 times, I believe. And you look in your strongest concordance, and every time it refers to physical healing. Every time. But they don't want us to know that. Who his own self bare sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live to righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. You know the gospel is the power of God to salvation? The gospel message is the power of God unto healing. The gospel message when properly taught produces healing. So there it is right there. By his stripes we were healed. That's the simplicity of the gospel that we've made very difficult. Think about that. Now when we believe wrong you know what we do? We short circuit the power of God that enables us to experience the will of God. Um, years ago, there was a situation where my children's mother could not have another child at all. When I met my friend, you've heard me say this before, some of you haven't, Jose Feliciano, not the singer, a friend that I work with in a mill, I ran a mill crane, in the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company. And 
and we ran cranes together. We parked them up on a bay 30 feet up together, and we'd converse. He'd come into my crane cab. When the mill's running well, you just sit there and just wait for the whistle to blow and do nothing. So I have my Bible. He has his Bible, and we just kind of share. I just got saved. He was already in Bible school. He was saved for many, many years, and we just met. And he said to me, while you're married, I said, yes. How many children do you have? I said, one. Going to have any more children? I said, oh, no, no. See, we think we know something when we do this. No, 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 no. Don't have any more. As a matter of fact, can't have any more. The doctors said it, said it can't be done. Uh, she had surgery, endometriosis, so bad, no way. Five, almost five years. And I said, but you know, I've got one. But it's not, this is what I said, my exact words, it's not the will of God for me to have any, because I heard that it wasn't always the will of God. So it's not the will of God for me to have any, any more children. To show you how crazy we can be as human beings, how messed up our thinking could possibly be, I said, listen to this, listen to this is what I'm saying. It's not the will of God that we have any more children, but we have papers in for adoption. Everything within us wanted to have another child, but in this head that's, you know, thoroughly mixed and well set like cement, I'm saying one thing, but yet my heart's saying another. Can you see what I'm talking about? I thought I was saying something right, being real spiritual, you know, God doesn't want us to have any more. I literally had papers already signed for adoption to adopt children. Well, if God doesn't want me to have any more children, why am I adopting? It doesn't make any sense. He said, Brother, read Psalm 128. And he got called. He had to leave the crane cap. Can we throw that up there, Psalm 128? Can you throw that up there real quick? Okay, thank you. So, um, there I am. He leaves. And I'm thinking, what's Psalm 128 all about? I didn't know. I'm sure I read it before, but it didn't stick with me. How does faith come? By hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. But if we hear religious tradition, if we hear the traditions of men, if we hear the doctrines of devils, and we believe what we hear, and have faith in what we hear, guess what? That will control our lives. That's exactly what we're going to produce. If you can throw verse 1 up there, did you get it yet? He's finding it. It says, blessed is the man. And this is a psalm. I'll get it from my... Blessed is the man that honors the Lord, that fears God, and walks in his ways. All right? He's a blessed man. And I'll tell you what, I was shouting by that time. I was so ecstatic, I was so excited because it was giving me a revelation of some things that, you know, I wanted in my life. I wanted to serve God, I wanted to know God, walk with God, honor God. Okay, so let me read it to you. It says, blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. And boy, I got a smile from ear to ear when I read that. I just was rejoicing. Verse number two, for thou shalt eat the labor of your hands, and happy shalt thou be, it shall be well with thee. Oh my goodness, I couldn't stand it. I was overflowing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Just bubbling over, just, yeah, that's me. Glory be to God. Verse three, thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children round about thy table, like all the plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. My countenance immediately changed. 
a fruitful vine? Children? When I tell you I had a God moment, I had a God moment. Because you see, when I read that last part, thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children, plural, round, like all the plants, round about thy table. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I kind of froze and I fell to my knees. And on my knees, the first thing I did was repent. Listen to me carefully. I repented. I said, Lord, I've been lying about you. That's how much I believed in the integrity of the Word of God. I said, I didn't know it. I never read that in that light before. Now, the first couple of things pertain to me, but that one doesn't. My knees hit the ground of that filthy old crane cab with all the graphite that was flying around it. And I'm on my knees, repented, and said, I am so sorry that I have misrepresented you. I've told lies about you. Because I can see from the Bible, it is your will for me to have more than one child. I was working the night shift. I went home. Opened up the Bible, showed it to her. Do you see what this says right there? I see it. Do you believe it? I believe it. And laid hands on her. In the name of Jesus, cursed endometriosis. And within two weeks, she was pregnant. When we went to the doctors and about the pregnancy, I asked the doctor, what about that endometriosis? He said, what endometriosis? There isn't any endometriosis. I'm saying that to let us know what we believe. We hear what we believe. And what we believe or have faith in, we're going to have. It's going to control our lives. But the moment I heard something different and was willing to repent, exalting the word of God above what I thought was right, the power of God was instantly manifested and healing took place. And I can go on and tell you many more situations like that. But my point is this. If we're taught it may not be God's will to heal you, then guess what? That will rule your life. But when you've been taught and you know here that it's the will of God because he's already healed us all in Christ. He sees us all well, all healed, delivered, set free, and made whole in Christ. It's already a done deal. That's the will of God. That changes inside our hearts what we believe. And it opens up the avenue through which God can bring healing into our lives and deliverance. Okay. So that's that. But then this next one is something that really I wanted to focus on. Because so much of this teaching, you hear these things, and if you're not mindful, you'll get caught up in these things. The generational curse. Okay? Or a curse. There are those that teach you could be under a generational curse or that you can be cursed by people that are involved with witchcraft and sorcery and things of that nature. And where there are some Christians have actually been Afraid, scared, and actually believing that they are experiencing curses in their lives because of these people that are under satanic powers. But the truth is, are you a child of God? Hear my words. You cannot be blessed. I mean, cursed. 
You cannot be cursed. And you cannot be under a generational curse. No matter what you've heard. Listen to the scriptures. Go to the book of Numbers. This is the story of Balak the king. Wanted Balaam to curse Israel. He was afraid. For his kingdom. And so he knew that he was a diviner. A sorcerer. Called a prophet. Sometimes had all these interactions with these spirits and all that. And he was very successful in his endeavors. So he says... Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I want that he whom thou, thou blessed is blessed, and he whom thou cursed is cursed. He said this, I know your reputation. Who you bless is blessed, who you curse is cursed, so I am offering you big bucks, a house full of silver and gold, if you will go and curse Israel. We'll go on to 23 and look at verse 8. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? How shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? He tried a few times. And when he tried to curse Israel... Guess what came out of his mouth? Blessings. Look at verse 19 and 20 through 21, then 23. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Behold, I've received commandment to bless, and he had blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He had not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, what God hath wrought. So you put it all together, here's what you discover. No sorcerer, no witch, no warlock can pronounce a curse on anything that God has blessed. So if you grew up watching The Exorcist, it's not that hard. It's not that difficult. Whom God hath blessed cannot be cursed. And so Balaam had to tell uh, Barak the king, I can't curse them. God has blessed them. That's impossible for me to do. I understand the principle. I know how it works. It's impossible for me to curse whom God has blessed. Well, I've got some great news for all of us. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Let's look at that verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Should we read that again? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Are we a blessed people? Who blessed us? 
God has blessed us. So whom God hath blessed, can anyone curse? No. Sorcerers, warlocks, witches, diviners, they can't bless what God has cursed. So it's impossible for you or for me to be under a curse. They can't curse us. It's impossible to do. Remember Galatians 3, 13, 14? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Why? That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Do we have the blessings of Abraham? Are the blessings of Abraham ours? Well, guess what? We're blessed in the city. We're blessed in the field. We're blessed in the basket. We're blessed in the store. We're blessed in our rising up. We're blessed in lying down. He made us the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. All these blessings belong to us. These blessings come on us and overtake us because we're not under the law. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. And really, all we are is blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. When I get up in the morning till I lay my head to rest, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. This is what our faith is to be in. I am blessed by God. I cannot be cursed. And the generational thing is really a false teaching. I know some people don't like to hear that, but I'm going to give you some examples. All right. This Christian woman for 10 years, before that, she was absolutely a blessed individual experiencing a wonderful life. But, Something happened, and for 10 years, she was miserable and experiencing all kinds of difficulties in her Christian walk. She found this minister and said to him that she wanted him to break this curse over her life, to deal with this situation. He could not convince her that she is blessed and not cursed. Every time he said, you're blessed and you can't be cursed, she said, no, no, I know I'm under a curse. I know I'm under a curse, and that's why this has happened. And so finally, because he saw they were button heads, and he could not get her to be convinced, and she couldn't get him to change his position, he finally said, Lord, help me deal with this individual by your spirit so I can communicate to her this truth that she is blessed. And what's her, or the problem is that she doesn't believe she's blessed. So he finally said to her, can I ask you, sister, how long this has been going on? Ten years. Okay, what happened ten years ago when this first started, that you start feeling that you were under a curse? Well, it was ten years ago when I went to a meeting at this particular church, and they were teaching about all these curses placed on believers. And he said to her, well, then how long has it been since you've, Experience all these things? Ten years. So for ten years, what you got out of that teaching at that church was you're cursed. And you've got to deal with all these curses. So you've been so involved in dealing with these curses that you can't see you're blessed. She, it finally hit her. You know when the light bulb goes on? She said, are you telling me that what I was taught is the reason why I'm experiencing the life that I'm experiencing? He said, I'm telling you exactly that's why you're doing it. Because your belief has opened up the door to the activity of the enemy in your life. You believe you're cursed. You believe that. You believe you can be cursed. And you see, as a result of that belief, 
you've opened up the door to the enemy. Do you know when she changed what she believed, she was completely delivered and set free? Look, the scriptures, you can't, we can't exalt anything above the word of God. Number one, we're not under the old covenant. Number two, we're not under the law. Number three, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. And four, greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. There's no devil, there's no demon, no sorcerer, no witchcraft. There's no witch, there's no warlock that can put a curse on you or on me because we're blessed. And whom God had blessed is blessed and it can't be reversed. So stop saying things like the devil's messing with my marriage. There's a curse upon my family, etc., etc. Now, there was another woman. She believed a, a lady, this is, this is something, a lady in her apartment complex was a witch and placed a curse on her. And as a result of this curse, now she was walking her dog one day and there was a crosswalk close to where they had lived. And as she was walking out, a car didn't realize stop to pedestrians and, and bumped into her, put on the brakes and kind of hit her. She was okay, but she was a little bit bruised, but she was okay. So she went to the minister and just said, you really need to break this curse that's over my life because this lady who lives across the hall, the way, you know, and from her part, in her apartment, the apartment complex, she's put a curse on me. And I know that I've been having all these difficulties ever since. What did she just say? What she believes, what she thinks, what she hears and other people say, she actually believes in. She actually believes that she's under a curse. And she actually believes that these powers are creating havoc in her life. He said to her, ma'am, you can't be cursed. It's an impossibility for you to be cursed because you're blessed. Let's look at the scriptures whom God had blessed cannot be cursed. So you and I can't be cursed. You can't be cursed. But your believing you can be cursed is open up the door to this activity in your life. And that's why you're experiencing all this heartache and misery in your life. It's like people that walk around and just say, the devil's after me all week long. And no matter which way I go, where I turn, the devil's after me all the time. Well, turn around and start saying, I'm blessed. You can't have me. You can't touch me. I've got the victory through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I'm blessed in my coming in and going out. Start declaring what you know to be true from the Word of God. Believe in what the Word of God teaches. So, look at the next uh, example. But before I go there, that point there about, I like this point. He also said to her, look, if I break the curse that you think you have at 7 o'clock this evening, and you go back in your house and that lady, who's the witch, curses you at 8 o'clock, what are you going to do then? Maybe I'll wait till midnight so you can get a good night's sleep. And hopefully she won't know that you've been delivered from the curse. And then in the morning, maybe she, if she curses you again, then you know, you're on your own. Think about that logic. What sense does it make to think that a child of God can be cursed by a person who's controlled by the devil? Too many TV shows. Okay? That can't happen. You are a blessed person. We're all blessed people. Whom God had blessed cannot be cursed. Period. Unless you want to open up the door to it. 
But still, you can't. He can't. No, he can't curse you. All right. And if you're thinking, well, what about in the book of Exodus under the law when he gave the Ten Commandments and it says that one generation, it'll go past from one generation. If you really read it in its proper setting and context, you know what you discover? If you practice idol worship, you worship false gods and images, then that will be upon you and it will be transferred because your children will do what you do. Would you agree with me? That if a child sees his mother and father doing certain things, they're more apt to follow in their footsteps and do the same thing. So if they see their father and mother worshiping a false image, they'll join together with them. It'll pass from them to the next generation to the next generation. That's exactly what will happen. But it's because it's being passed down that way. And they see, they would call that a generational curse. And they're saying that happens to a Christian. But wait a minute. Because if you read the whole thing in context, he said, so shall it be to all those that hate me. Do you know a Christian that hates God? You're practicing idol worship, false gods that you're worshiping, and as a result, that'll be passed down to your child and probably their children. And he's saying, that's what's going to happen if you continue doing this, because you hate me. And then God got furious about this teaching. Because in the book of Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 18. You can read it for yourself. You know what it says? What's with this proverb that you people have? That the father eats sour grapes and it rots out the teeth of their children? He says, I don't want you using that any longer, that proverb that says that your children are cursed because of the parents' behavior. Wait a minute. Number one, first of all, he said, don't say it anymore. They were doing it, and he said, stop doing it. That's not true, so stop saying it. And he goes on to say this, if the father eats sour grapes, he'll be judged for the grapes he's eating. If the son eats sour grapes, he'll be judged for the grapes he's eating. So in other words, if the father lives right, he'll be blessed. If he doesn't, he won't. If the son lives right, he'll be blessed, and walks in his righteousness, he'll be blessed. But don't say that the son's going to be punished because of the sin of the father. Don't say that. He told him, stop saying it. So why are people saying it today under the new covenant? It's wrong. It's a false teaching. It's not a right teaching. And we need to understand that. So, we are a blessed people. And we cannot be cursed by the devil or demonic influences at all because the hand of God is upon us. But it's up to us to understand it. It's up to us to know it. It's up to us to believe it and walk in the light of it. Otherwise, the devil will use what? What we think the false teaching, the false doctrine, to do what? Hold us in captivity. It's like an open door. We don't want to open up the door to the enemy. He can't do it. It's impossible for him to do it. But he can influence us if we believe that way. So don't allow yourself to think that the enemy has this power to curse me. He cannot do it. It's impossible. Now the last one, and this one is something. This church was a vibrant church. All of a sudden, across the street, there was a coven of witches that they believe moved in. And across the street from the church, they were in this house, and they were meeting a coven of witches. Well, the people began to get concerned. Within a few months, their finances were going down. Also, there were relational problems within the church. And they all attributed it to the covenant witches that were there, that they knew were cursing their work. 
the work of the Lord. So they panicked and they decided to get together three times a week extra and they engaged in spiritual warfare. They were involved in, in experiencing prophecies, words of knowledge, gifts of the Spirit in operation, making all kinds of statements by revelations as to what to do, how to come against this through the spiritual warfare that was across the street. And the minister that knew the, fam knew the church and the pastor and his family one day engaged with the son-in-law who was on staff at the church and said, uh, your father told me about this, these witches across the street that's supposedly been wreaking havoc with your church and, and the people are afraid and every, all these problems, they're having relational problems, marital problems, problems with their children, and they attribute to all this that's going on across the street. And he said, brother, come here, come, come to my office. He takes him into his office, and in his office he says to him, that's a real big problem, that's a real big issue. And let me tell you why. He says, because you see, I found out it's not witches. It's a house church. They're meeting to worship the Lord. That's not who it is. So what they had to realize that they did was wrong. They thought it was a bunch of witches. Now they've got these prophecies going. They've got these revelations going. They've got uh, words of knowledge going. And we've got to do this and we've got to do that and got to do this and got to do that. It wasn't witches at all. You see how deceived God's people can possibly be and how they can open up the door to wrong activity in their own lives. Listen, Job said, the fear I greatly feared has come upon me. People can open up the door through fear to the activity of the enemy. It's up to believers to believe the gospel, to believe the truth. It's knowing the truth that makes us free, that liberates us and delivers us. The people were free once they realized what was going on? But you see, if, you, if we're not mindful of these things, you know how subtle it is that the enemy can inject a thought in our mind that contradicts the Word of God? And when you got people on television telling you all these different things, and that's why sometimes when I share with you this idea, when someone tells you that if you don't, at, on this particular Jewish feast day, if you don't send us $1,000... And see to it that on this particular day, the anointing is going to be beyond anything you've ever experienced on this day. Because you see, it's this spiritual day, a holiday. It's the window of opportunity. So send me your $1,000 and I'll send you whatever you need. That anointing is going to be so rich and thick. I just sit there and I laugh and just say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Since Jesus has been raised from the dead, there's no other need for any other day. Every single day is an anointed day. Every single day is a spiritual holiday as far as I'm concerned. Every single day there's power. The power from on high. The power of the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? Do I have to wait for a special day? you have to wait for a special day? And when they... There was a time when they were sending... Oh, I used to get this stuff in my office. It would come in the mail. You open up and fold this big thing, put your feet on these, stand on these, hold your Bible, say a scripture, and I'm telling you, you're going to get your need met like, but don't forget to send in your thousand dollars. Don't forget that because you are going to get more than you bargained for. I'm like, 
can Christians be that gullible to think that that, if it did happen, you know why it would happen? Because you declared the word. That's called merchandising the anointing, which the word of God speaks against. Merchandising the things of God, the anointing of God. I had this one, very popular on TV, sent, someone sent this particular anointing oil. <laughs> I think I had it on my desk for one week, opened it up just to, just to see. It was hard as a brick. Wouldn't even pour out. I wonder, I wonder what that cost someone to get this. <laughs> These are nothing but distractions to make us believe in something that's meaningless. I'll send you some water from the Jordan. I got the Ohio right here. Which way are we facing here? We got the Ohio River right here. You can put your arm in, comes out with two. Put it back in and you'll get one. You'll never know when you put your... <laughs> Are you kidding me? There is no mystique to being baptized in the River Jordan. You realize that? The water I got baptized in was the most horrific body of water you could possibly get baptized in. This preacher never emptied. We have a water baptismal right here. Never emptied his baptismal water for an entire year. I didn't know that. But I was gung-ho about getting water baptized. And when I called him on the phone and said, I'm going to be baptized, he said, I said, because I'm born again. He goes, I hate to burst your bubble. Since you're not baptized, you're not born again. I said, buddy, I knew me before I was born again. Before I, before I was born again, I know me. And I know me now. Trust me, I'm born again. I'm not the same guy I used to be before. I'm changed. He said, you can't be born again. See, this was his doctrine. Unless you're baptized in water. Well, I just forgot about that. I said, forget it. Just baptize me in water. Well, come on over. We'll do it right now. And I wonder, he got the water in there already. And I mean, he put, I didn't know he had hip boots on. Up to here. So I leave my house. I got my towel. I've got my change of clothes. I run. I go to, to, the, to the church. And he says, come on, right over here. He's already in the water. I see him standing in the water. And I think everything is okay, right? And so I go flying. He goes, he tried to get out of, him, out of his mouth. It's cold, but... I was just too quick. I was just so quick, wanted to get baptized so badly. So I go in the water, and my eyeballs froze. <laughs> then the scum. I was draped with scum. Ooh. But I did it anyhow. It was disgusting. Let me tell you, it was disgusting. But just to show you once again... He believed I wasn't born again. He believed I wasn't born again because I wasn't baptized in water. I was born again. Oh, trust me. I was born again. I had the witness of the Spirit. I had the love of God in my heart. I had joy unspeakable and full of glory. I know I was born again. I just wanted to be baptized in water. And I didn't know since I came out of a church that, that baptized when you were a baby, I thought I should, but I didn't know. I called the Seven Heart Club, talked to the lady. I said, should I be? And she said, what do you think? I said, that's what I called you for. What do you mean, what do I think? I called you for some advice. I knew in my heart I had to be baptized in water. See, don't, don't do the religion thing. There's doctrines of devils. And didn't Paul say that many would fall away 
depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Didn't he say that? You don't realize how subtle that is. Even the elect can be deceived. Don't listen to every preacher on TV and just say, you've got to do this, got to do that. And trust me, when they want your money, forget about it. We were on TV for I don't know how many years. I can't remember. Never asked for a penny. Not one penny. Not one cent. It didn't even say you can send an offering. Whatever. Just, just say, we're here to bless you. That's all there is to it. The gospel's free. Amen. I can meddle all night tonight. I better not. Let's stand together before the Lord.